I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I said. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, Roylands, and things to episode 25 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve. That's a new one even for me. And I'm Jarman, and we are here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? That's the Muppets and Star Trek. We have been doing one-to-one reviews of the Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And tonight we're covering the Muppet Show with special guest star George Burns and Star Trek original series episode, The Devil in the Dark, which is a great episode. Uh, but first, before we get into that, tell us about wonderful George Burns, Steve. Well, drafted into World War One, but dismissed due to his incredibly poor vision. <laughs> uh, he started as a comedic uh, performer in vaudeville and on stage, worked his way over to film and then to radio, where him and his wife, uh, Gracie Allen, uh, had a very successful show that was later adapted to early television. Okay. After his wife's death, he actually uh, kind of left the stage for a while and went into producing. And even produced fellow Muppet show host Juliet Prowse's show, Mona McCluskey, that we that, mentioned. The terrible name. That's right. That's right. He <laughs> produced it. In 1974, he won the Best Supporting Actor for his role in The Sunshine Boys. And this led to this sudden resurgence in his career late in his life, later in his life. Um, he did big movies in the 70s, the Oh, oh God series. Hmm. Oh, God. Oh, God, too, where he played God. Uh, this appearance on The Muppet Show is kind of smack dab in the middle of this resurgence. Gotcha. So and, it's a weird time. He went away for a while, and this is him coming back. I remember him when I was a kid because he would be. they always trot him out the Oscars every year, and he's like, now he's 101. Now he's 102. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he has three stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Wow. Live performance, motion pictures, and television. But what does our generation remember him from? Uh, he did a lot of appearances during this resurgence period. So for you people like you and me, that's what we know him from, from things like the Oscars or when he was trotted out or, you know, that's why he's an art. But he, otherwise, his last IMDb B credit is in 94, which mm. was two years before his death. Okay. He died in 96. Yeah. He was like 100 or something, too. He was something. still kicking, yeah. making jokes. Oh, yeah. Smoking cigars all day, every day. <laughs> Somehow. But let's hear about him smoking cigars this week on The Muppet Show. On stage this week, the opening number, Quanta Lagusta, a high-energy number with Miss Piggy and two other uh, pig singers. It is an all-time iconic Muppet Show musical number. Mm-hmm. Next up, George joins Rolf at the piano to reminisce about kind of the old days of showbiz, which leads them for the performance of an old bit of his, The Train Back Home which is really cute and has a real nice ending. Following this, we get a musical number, Chattanooga Choo Choo, performed by some dashing whatnots who quickly have to dash off stage to dodge the oncoming train. Afterwards, we get back to Veterinarian's Hospital, German's favorite. Ooh. The patient this week is a telephone, and Dr. Bob has to refer him to a telephone operator. Up next, Fozzie sings a lively song, Watcher Knocked Him in the Old Kent Road. And Statler and Waldorf join him and actually really dig it. <laughs> They're also super old. Afterwards, Piggy forced Kermit to dance in a ballroom to which he sings the song, I won't dance. Um, 
Up next, a machine is slowly eaten by a monster as it describes its function only to reveal that it is meant to explode and explodes the monster. Mm-hmm. Finally, we get the closing number. George gathers around the piano with a gaggle of Muppets singing both It All Depends on You and You Made Me Love You. Uh, Gonzo gets the words wrong and sings the lyrics wrong. And it really, uh, George plays kind of the straight man. And it was just a real funny, cute ending number. Backstage this week, uh, before the opening curtain, Gonzo fiddles while George burns. And this is a great and another one of those like cl- all-time classic Muppet jokes. <laughs> Uh, the bulk of the plot this week features Fleet Scribbler, a tabloid columnist who's looking for a juicy story. He approaches various people in the cast, including Piggy and Kermit, uh, bending headlines and situations to make things seem worse. We get a nice moment where Gonzo asks about the good old days of showbiz. George tells a story of the early days of vaudeville, um, and then it devolves into this discussion about uh, performing with a kangaroo. It's just all very quick, very quick jokes. Uh, Fleet is still pressing the cast. He talks to the Swedish chef and he actually speaks in Swedish chef, which is really funny. Yeah. He makes one final attempt at the closing curtain, uh, but George just uh, just spits smoke in his face. Uh, and it's very rude to him and he doesn't get the story. And this is what we call the Muppet Show this week. Indeed. Uh, so the music this week, Quanta Lagusta by Ruiz and Gilbert. Ray Gilbert wrote the lyrics for the Oscar-winning song Zippity Doodah from Song of the South. Oh, wow. Train Back Home. This is actually a George Burns like classic that he's been doing for years. He spends so much time talking about how much he misses San Francisco, in this case, and he's going to catch the train back home, but he talks about it so long that he misses the train back home. <laughs> uh, Chattanooga Choo Choo was actually a secondary song from a Fox film production, and it went on to do nine weeks in the, uh, the number one spot in the U.S., Oh, yeah. I played that back Lyri- in jazz band, too. <laughs> uh, lyrics by a guy named Mac Gordon, famous for being nominated for Best Original Song Oscar five years in a row in the early 40s. Damn. Uh, and then Harry Warren, on the other hand, is famous for songs like I Only Have Eyes for You and Jeepers Creepers. Where'd you get those beepers? Uh, what Knocked Them in the Old Kent Road uh, is a British music hall song from the late 1800s. I threw that in to appease our British listeners. Oh, always. Uh, I won't dance from the musical three sisters. There are actually two completely different sets of lyrics for this song. And the one performed here is the one that most people know. Hmm. I think from what I could tell, (laughs) I recognize it. Uh, It all depends on you written for the musical called big boy, which is the story of an African-American stable boy who ends up winning the Kentucky Derby. Interesting. Yeah, never heard of it. Never, ever heard of it. Jeremy, <laughs> uh, what did you think of this week's episode of The Muppet Show with George Burns? Uh, right off the bat, um, I know we're doing production or broadcast order from the UK, right? Is what the order we're doing it in? Yeah, that's what we're going to stick with, though I will admit that the second season aired in the US first. Gotcha. Okay. So it's we're in a tough situation, but at this point, we're going to stick with British, uh, UK broadcast order. Fine with me. Also to appease our British listeners. <laughs> more pandering to the British listeners. Just more pandering to you. Uh, so this was uh, the first episode of season two, technically, mm-hmm. for us. And I was already like sh- woken up out of my seat because it's got a kind of revamped opening music number and an opening number in general. Oh, uh, yeah. Different Muppets and choreograph differently and bigger scale. I think there's bigger budget in this episode, it looks like, than last oh, yeah. season. A lot of Muppets got facelifts over the season break, oh, yeah. including Miss Piggy and Gonzo. Miss Piggy looks a lot better. And so does Gonzo, Gonzo, actually. Gonzo got a lot more expressive. He was more ragged looking before. 
Um, and so everything is really solid. I think they, um, it it was kind of limited. I felt like they kept going back to the same scenes with George Burns. Like he was either at the side of the side of the piano with Ralph or in his dressing room. That was it. Um, but it still worked because he was just so good with the Muppets. I think that vaudeville experience just make it so he's really natural with them. It felt totally, it flowed really, really well with him. Yeah. I mean, at this point he was in, I don't know, his seventies or eighties realistically. Yeah. So, I mean, I can understand that they're like, all right, George, you just stand here. Yeah. Stand there. There's your and cue. we'll have Muppets do things around you. And it seemed like he was just talking right to him. Like they were regular people, you know, and he was really funny and entertaining. And I'd never really seen him for this long period of time. I've only seen him as little bits of the Oscars when I was a kid. So it was interesting. I liked it. I think it was just like well, a good upper middle episode. Well, I think he kind of falls in the same basket as the performers like Ethel Merman. Yeah. Obviously wasn't on Broadway, but you know, that guy who's performed so many places with so many different people, this is just another gig. Doesn't phase him. And does not fade some he's acting with puppets. That was kind of reflected in the scene. Um, like when he was talking about how much he gets paid for uh <laughs> being here. He's like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's like really? No, of course not. <laughs> Something like that. Is that a lie? Yeah, best one I ever told. <laughs> so he just he like was totally non phased by just talking to a bunch of puppets. So it was oh, really and great. not only that, if you listen, if you go back and watch like the him and Rolf at the piano, there are so many quick jokes. Oh, yeah. And it's such a stark reminder that like comedy doesn't happen like this anymore. It's like watching. Well, it's kind of like people say Aaron Sorkin is like the last writer, director person who has that quick dialogue, like in the 40s and the 30s, those movies. And that's kind of how he's talking. You know, it's like he's in one of those like detective movies from the 30s. Just real quick, back and forth. <laughs> repartee. But yeah, I think it's pretty good. How about you? Good. I I agree. They kind of went back over and over again and just George kind of sitting and verbally abusing people. (laughs) Um, But, and I think that the reason that it feels even worse is because there's that at the end where they gather around the piano and he has the, it all depends on you and you made me love you. And he just plays it so well and so quick. And the Muppet responses are quick and the performance is good that I, I would have been fine with the whole show. Of him just performing those little like songs with Muppets around a piano. Yeah, it's like story time with George Burns, basically. <laughs> I, I kind of would have preferred that to what we got because it was so good that it made me go, oh, why was that not more? Yeah, I could see that. Uh, so what's what was your favorite Muppeteering moment this week? Uh, my favorite moment is actually going to be the the crazy opening number with the Miss Piggy and the Carmen Miranda styled number. What was it called again? <laughs> uh, Quanta Lagusta. Quanta Lagusta. Uh, I, I really like it anytime you, you really get to see Muppets move around. And a lot of them all coordinated gonna, at once. And you're going to get to see a lot more of those big upbeat music numbers in these seasons as they figured this out. So I think you're in for a treat because there's a lot of truly, truly classic stuff coming up. That's good to hear. Truly classic stuff. Yeah, because I, I love that kind of upbeat Carmen Miranda style song. So it was, it was, it was fun. And plus, just like and like the the pig leaning backwards over the thing, playing the trumpet. And I'm like, how the hell did they do that? So <laughs> it was just a lot of fun. Um, mine is probably going to be when they were gathered around the piano with George, and oh, just yeah. you know, Gonzo getting the lyrics wrong, and everyone else so attentive, and the 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 timing and the play was so good and so well rehearsed. Yeah, you, um, you wonder how much that, they rehearsed that, that stuff. That only a pro like George Burns could do it. So naturally. And also, so you know, I will mention to the the coordination between the monster and the computer, like that must have been difficult too. So that was a good one. Um, all right. So, Jarman, tell us about this week's episode of uh, the original series that we watched. All right. So Star Trek this week, we have The Devil in the Dark, another 
very famous episode. So we've got a lot of these in season one that are kind of standouts. Um, and so, yeah, next week as well, we do. But anyway, so the devil in the dark, uh, the enterprise is sent to a pergeum mining colony. I think that's a fake mineral. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Geologists out there. Uh, but they go to investigate the mysterious deaths of the miners there who are supposedly being killed by this hideous monster. So Spock and Kirk meet with the head of the mine, Chief Engineer Vanderberg, a very craggy faced older man. Um, a lot of those guys in Star Trek, craggy faced people in the 60s. While in his office, uh, Spock notices a strange silicon nodule on Vanderberg's desk. But Vanderberg says it's just an oddity that they discovered and that there are hundreds of them all around the mine. So that's kind of odd. And suddenly an alarm goes off and apparently the monster has killed another miner, but has also damaged the nuclear reactor for the colony and a critical part of it is missing. So they have like 10 hours before everyone on the planet has to be either evacuated or they'll be dying of, you know, nuclear poisoning. So Scotty comes down and jury rigs something to buy them more time before the reactor goes critical. And Spock and Kirk then take teams to go search for this uh, crazy monster. And Spock suspects that it might be a silicone based life form, which Bones thinks is crazy. But they adjust their phasers to be effective against silicone, just in case. And they finally find the creature. It was like a big lava rock monster. And they shoot it, and they appear to damage it, and it runs away. And it creates a path right through solid stone, which is crazy. It makes its own tunnel, basically. And a piece of the creature came off after being shot, and Spock finds it to be made of some kind of fibrous asbestos, so he says. Um, he finds that it uses this corrosive substance to both kill people and also to move through solid rock as easily as we move through the air, which is a cool mm -hmm. concept. Um, and Spock adjusts his tricorder to find just silicone-based life, and he finds that only that one creature is around for hundreds of miles. So Kirk and Spock find a chamber with thousands of those silicon nodules, little balls, and the monster arrives and causes a cave-in to try to kill Kirk. But of course, Kirk survives. And he finds the creature is now afraid, afraid of his phaser. So the creature must be smart enough to learn not to be you know, shot again. So he tries to have Spock speak to it with a mind meld, which we've used, I think, this is the second time now. A few times, yeah. Okay. And so Spock is filled suddenly with the immense pain, sadness, and anger of this creature. And he finds out that the nodules are actually its children. And every 500 years, these Horda, as they call themselves, they all die off except for one who then protects the next generation of Horda until they hatch and then raises them as not their... Not super efficient. Not super efficient. A weird system. <laughs> and then it raises them as their mother, basically. And apparently that shot that they took at the Horda is really much worse than they thought because the Horda is dying. So Kirk has Bones come down to tend to it. And that's the first time where we hear Bones say, I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer, <laughs> which I thought was great. It's his first time using that phrase. Um, but eventually he figures out what to do when he gets... a. Uh, concrete and uses that like as a salve and a, a bandage basically for this creature uh then the miners finally catch up to them and they demand that they kill the creature because it killed 50 of their own men but kirk explains to them that the creature was only protecting its young um who the miners had killed hundreds of by accident these little balls so spock communicates with the horda and they're able to reach an agreement that the miners will, will steer i can't say that steer clear of the baby hordas and in return, the hoarders will make uh, tunnels for the miners. So they can get their valuable mineral deposits much more easily. So they find the missing piece of the reactor, which the Horda had apparently stolen, and they reinstall it. The planet is safe for the miners again, and they all work in harmony. And I wish I could ever see a baby Horda because that'd be adorable. But they didn't have those visible in the episode. <laughs> so yeah, that's the one that we saw in the episode looked like the... Uh... Like the flying carpet from Aladdin, but really a beast. <laughs> and like blown up and like really obese. With a like, disease. Oh God. <laughs> I had too many bagels. Aladdin. 
So on that note, uh, the creator of the Horta costume named Janos Prohaska, um, he wore it into the producer Gene L. Kuhn's office, producer writer. And he said, look what I designed. And Kuhn said, that's great. What is it? And Prohaska said, I don't know. It can be whatever you want. <laughs> and then Kuhn replied, well, I'll write a script around it. And he wrote the episode <laughs> in four days so the costume could be used. <laughs> so this whole like famous episode was built around a guy wearing this creepy costume in the office. Like, look what I made. <laughs> Very strange. Um, and his book, Star Trek Memories, uh, William Shatner identified this as his favorite episode because his father died during filming. And Leonard Nimoy's delivery of the mind meld lines made him laugh when he was pain. <laughs> um, so that was kind of funny. And when Re William Shatner returned from the funeral to put everyone else at ease, he was trying to do his lines following Mr. Spock's mind meld with the Horda and his crying of, ah, oh, pain. Uh, Leonard Nimoy just spoke the lines, uh, but Shatner told him to do it again with feeling. And when Sh and Leonard Nimoy said, ah, oh, pain, pain, Shatner yelled out, will somebody get this Vulcan an aspirin? <laughs> so I don't know why that amused me so much. Um, Arthur C. Clarke once remarked in 1995, I didn't realize he lived that long, uh, that the original series, the only episode he could recall was this one, uh, stating that it impressed him because uh, it presented an idea unusual in science fiction then and now that something weird and even dangerous need not be malevolent. That is a lesson that many of today's politicians have yet to learn. That's what Arthur C. Clarke said. Mm. It's pretty cool. Um, and one last couple things. Uh, no kill eye is something that the creature scribbles into the surface of the ground so that he can communicate with the people. Is the name of a popular Star Trek themed um, punk band you can find out ah, there. Ah, nice. <laughs> and this episode only contains one actress who appears for a few seconds and has no lines. This is the only episode of the original series where no female has speaking parts. So hmm, there is wow. that. That's a little crazy. It's all the miners were men. So Steve, what do you think of this episode? Uh, okay. So things I liked any episode that starts with like a big body count is always gets my interest. The fact <laughs> that they went down and there were already like 50 dead guys. I was like, Oh, something's okay. going down. Something's going down. And I like that right off the bat. They let me, they let us know that we were looking for a creature and it wasn't like a big reveal or a big twist that it wasn't a cre you know, it was a creature. Right. You know, yes, it was intelligent and ended up being a much more sophisticated ending than just going to shoot it. I just appreciated that it wasn't like, it's a creature, and then it ends up that it's, you know, three guys in a suit or something. Or a godlike alien. <laughs> yeah, man, we'll save that for next episode. Uh, <laughs> Again. Things I maybe didn't like that much. It was heavy-handed. Um, like when their creature appears and men die. And they smash cut to the next guy to die with like ominous music. It's just, it was all really, really heavy. And they just stand there frozen going, ah! they have like, plenty of time to shoot. Yeah. Where the creature appears, men die and they just cut over to like three guys who are about to get dead. <laughs> uh, once we see the thing late, it's hard to imagine it was able to move fast enough to catch someone off guard. Right. I knew they threw in the like Star Trek line of like it could move through solid rock like a fish through water. Like I get it, but when you see it, you're like, nah, it didn't sneak up on anyone. <laughs> Makes a lot of noise. It's slow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there was also that was so weird. Like the colonists only have phaser one. Yes, but we have phaser two. I can change their phasers to be more effective against silicon. I was like, wow, what is happening? They're not even bothering to explain this. <laughs> They're, they're tech in the tech, man. Why wouldn't their guns have worked before now? Because they're not good guns. Oh, okay. Do we have good guns? Yes, we have good guns. <laughs> I can make their bad guns 
do good gun things. <laughs> You're so talented, Spock. Right. That's literally li- like the exact dialogue. <laughs> that was in here. Um, so some of that was just heavy handed. <laughs> Maybe might be the right thing. I get it. I did like the pain. I did like the reveal. Uh, of the eggs it was maybe you could see it coming right maybe they were maybe a bit too heavy with the the orbs early really showing that they're gonna be important later (laughs) pay attention to these maybe they could have laid off that a little bit yeah Um, but otherwise fun episode probably right in the middle somewhere for me maybe maybe high middle all right kind of how i felt about george burns so there you go yeah so we have any trek connection muppet connections this week oh god all right the whales in Star Trek for the Voyage Home are named George and Gracie, named after George Burns and Gracie Allen. Oh, yeah. Shatner, in the beginning of his 2018 book, Live Long and dot, 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 what I learned along the way, Shatner compares himself to George Burns as far as the fact that he plans to work like until he dies. He probably will. <laughs> uh, George Burns starred in Oh God with actress Terry Garr. She appears in the last episode of season two of the original series, Assignment Earth. Ah, uh, yes. That's going to be the uh, spinoff series, but we'll get to that. Oh. Uh, so let's talk similarities between our two episodes this week. Yes. Uh, probably one we might both have, but uh, both have a monster eating and destroying inanimate objects slash machinery, the Horda and the monster eating the talking computer. Well, nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. Both feature people or something refusing to do something. Kermit won't dance and Kirk won't kill it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Dr. Bob in veterinarian's hospital is trying to treat a patient he is not familiar with, a phone, while Bones had to treat a patient he was unfamiliar with, a Horda. <laughs> Damn. Both feature people getting surprised by things that are really obvious. The miners by the Horda and the Chattanooga singers by the train. <laughs> you should hear it coming. It's pretty slow. It's a train. Uh, two characters are able to communicate when you don't expect it. Uh, Scribbler and the Swedish chef and Spock and the Horda. That was also so you and I had two overlap. There. Really? <laughs> yeah. I had four and you just and we, those two of them were yours. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant minds. They're basically the same show. That's the same show, man. Anyone can see it. It's obvious. But now, oh no, what's that sound? I don't hear anything. Oh, that sound? The rumble. Transporter malfunction. All right, so it's the part of the show where we transport one character from one episode to the other episode. And who do you have for this week, Steve? So this week, going from Muppets to Trek, I've got uh, Vandenberg uh, switching with the uh, with Fleet the journalist, uh-huh. uh, and the, he just taking everything that Kirk says the wrong way. I could see and start Starfleet captain lets killer run loose. No, we're doing everything we can. Starfleet captain attempts to save murderous monster. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, I had George Burns replacing Spock. I think he'd be hilarious with him walking around with a cigar talking the way he normally does, but with Spock's dialogue. <laughs> so oh, he's kind of like, That's ideological, captain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> pain. Oh, look at the pain over here. <laughs> Great pain. What's your other one for us? Uh, so coming from Trek to Muppets, the Horda coming over and replacing the purple monster, slowly <laughs> consuming the machinery only to explode. And then once again, rasp pain, terrible pain, <laughs> pain. Uh, I had the Horda to replace Miss Piggy 
Um, <laughs> and whenever she karate chops or otherwise would be injuring someone like she always does, she would now instead disintegrate them. <laughs> yeah, just absorb them like a gelatinous <laughs> cube. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think that brings us to the end of episode 25 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for The Muppet Show with special guest Madeline Kahn. An original series episode, Errand of Mercy. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds.